Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend, we're continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called The Big Ten. And during this series, we're just walking through the Ten Commandments together. And uh, I told somebody after our last service that... Um, that it was funny when we were talking about this series back in October of last year, when I said, hey, let's do a series on the Ten Commandments. The staff that were sitting in the room that we were talking to, you could tell it was like, uh, okay, we can do that if you'd like. And I was like, no, no, no let me explain. And, uh, and we had so much good feedback from this series, and I think part of it is because we're trying to go a little deeper than just the Ten Commandments, than just here's what the rules are, follow the rules. Um, and as I talked about it with the staff, I think they understood kind of what my heart was and ultimately I think what God's heart is for us is that the Ten Commandments are not just rules. It's not just guidelines for us that you do this and you're going to be okay. Uh, it really is, uh, it's a revelation of God's heart and his values for his people because the rules help inform us or help, help us see who God is, what he loves, and what he wants for us. Um, and so the rules aren't there to just restrict us. Really, the rules are there to give us life and to help us do what God's called us to do and, and be where God's called us to be and experience all that God's called us to experience. And Jesus kind of speaks to those values. In Matthew chapter 22, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets Hang on these two commandments. And what he's saying is these are the values that support the rules. The rules are important, but if you just obey the rules without having the values, that you're really missing the point. And so Jesus is saying here are the values. If you will love God really, really well and you love people really, really well, you won't have to worry about maintaining the rules. You're going to take care of, that's going to take care of itself. And so that's really what we're trying to get at during the course of the series and trying to help you understand and, and, and unpack this together so that we can apply this to our lives and we can see that this is still for us even today. So I'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 and I got to warn you this is going to be super spiritual because I'm reading from the King James Version this morning. And also I can tell I'm becoming more mature because I don't feel compelled to read it with a British accent even though I want to. I'm not going to. So here's what it says. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one that when I was a kid, I used to think this is how this is applied. Um, we can say God if we're in church or if we're praying to God or talking to someone about God, but we cannot say things like... it. it you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I kind of viewed this almost as a mortal sin. Like, if I say God in a non-church-related way, it's a sin. So if I said, God, I'm hungry, like a trap door might open beneath me and I might plunge straight to hell. I wasn't quite sure, but I thought it worked like that. I thought that's how it might be. And, uh, and what I've come to realize is this is much broader in many ways and in some ways much more challenging than just don't say God's name for no good reason. That's not really what it's all about. And I think to get a good understanding of this, it helps us to look at the Jewish view of the name of God and what that's all about. And so if we look at this, this is how the name of God is written in Hebrew. This right here, and this is called a tetragrammaton, and that sounds like a really fancy word, and it sounds like what they might have developed in order to fight Godzilla. Like, Godzilla's wrecking the city, what are we going to do? Quick, get the tetragrammaton, and then like, you know, that's what I'm imagining with tetragrammaton. Um, but it's just a fancy word for a four-letter word, basically. Um, and so that's what they call this, okay? Now, this is the transliteration into English from this in the Hebrew. And uh, obviously there's no vowels here. And if we were going to pronounce this, it might sound like this, like, 
Like, who knows how to pronounce this? So what they've done is they've added vowels to it so we can pronounce it. And this is where we get the word Yahweh in, in our language today. So when, we hear, when you hear the word Yahweh in our context, we're talking about the one true God. We're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what we're talking about. Um, this is also where we've derived the word Yehovah from, and it would be pronounced Yehovah in for, for Hebrew transliteration, um, but we say Jehovah in English today. So you, you've, if you've been around church, you might have heard people call God Jehovah or Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah, there's lots of names for God. And you might have heard him described in that way. And this is another transliteration of, of the Hebrew name for God. Now, this is what I want you to understand about the Hebrew's view of this word, Yahweh. Um, it was so holy that they wouldn't speak the name of God out loud. So they wouldn't speak it in relation to God, like praying to God. They wouldn't say Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, they wouldn't pray to him that way and call him by name. Uh, when they were talking about God and what God had done in their life, they would not say Yahweh or Jehovah. They had a list of other things they might say instead. And they would say things like Adonai, which means my Lord. So they would call him Adonai, or they would say Elohim, which has a couple of meanings. One is a broader definition, which means gods, just non-plural, non-specific. And then, but most of the time, when you see it in the context of worship, they would call him Elohim, which is a reference to God. Uh, and then they would sometimes call him Hashem, which means the name, which I love. Because it reminds me a little bit, if you're a nerd, of um, he who must not be named, uh, if you don't know that reference, don't worry about it. You're probably better off. Um, so they wouldn't say the name of God because it was so holy. So uh, they had such respect and reverence for God that they wouldn't say his name. In fact, in rabbinical Judaism, uh, they have seven names of God that they consider so holy that they, they think if you write the name of God, it's wrong to ever erase it. So once you write it, we revere it so highly that we do not erase it. Now, we look at that and we go, that feels extreme. That feels like much, right? But, but I want you to understand that they collectively said, we want to make sure we honor the name of God. And we're not going to make it subjective because if we're going to be honest, all of our views of God are filtered through our own experiences, through our life, through our own beliefs, and our view of God is subjective many times. But what the, what the people of Israel did is they agreed on commandment number three, and they said, the way we're going to approach God is this way. We're going to make sure that we esteem and honor who he is, and we're going to do that by honoring his name. And so they, they agreed, we're, we're not going to say his name. In fact, there's only one person who would say the name of God out loud, and he would only do it once a year in one specific moment. The high priest in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement would say the name of God in prayer, and the whole nation of Israel would worship together. And that was it, because they revered God's name so highly and so much. And you feel like that might be extreme until we understand commandments one and two. Number one, you'll have no other God but me, okay? Number two, you will not make any other God or worship any other God. And what we see is commandment three helps support commandments one and two. Because if I can speak the right things about God, it's going to help bring my heart into alignment about who God is in my life. It is impossible for me to say that I love my wife if I speak negatively about her. So I, I could say, man, I love my wife so much. I mean, it, it's evidenced in my life. I show her I love her. Um, but man, da, 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 and I could get in the laundry list, right? This is one of the reasons why, and you could go back and listen to the archives, and this isn't a yay me thing, like I'm not trying to get credit for this, but I've never, ever, ever made a derogatory remark about my wife from stage, ever. And not even just jokingly, and, and you guys have heard me, I make some pretty horrible jokes sometimes, but I never, ever joke about my wife in a derogatory way. Because how can I make you believe I actually love her if I don't speak well of her. Um, if, if I make jokes about her cooking, which I wouldn't, but if I did, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit for a lot of public speakers. It's an easy laugh for somebody to get up and talk about their wife's cooking. And 
But it comes at a cost, doesn't it? Because your wife's going to poison your meal later. No, it comes at a cost. Because I I say, I love my wife, but I'm going to make jokes at her expense. I'm going to treat her in a way that's not really that honoring. Same thing with my mother-in-law. Mother-in-law jokes are easy, aren't they? Oh, it's easy to make mother-in-law jokes. I I don't. I've never done it because I I don't ever want anybody to misunderstand how much I value and love my mother-in-law. And hopefully she's watching so I can get credit for what I just said. Why? Because our language is tied to our hearts. So if I, can, if I can publicly respect and honor people, if I can esteem them, it's going to help bring my heart into alignment on how I should actually feel about them. And the same is true about a relationship with God. When we use God's name or misuse God's name, it pulls our hearts away from where we should be in relationship to him. So I want you to understand, this is not just about what we say. And again, I want to... Go back to Exodus 27 in the King James. It says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So the word take here is the word nasah in the Hebrew. And nasah means to lift, bear up, carry, take. And, and the implication is this. Um, when I think of taking the name of the Lord God in vain, I think of a moment. I think of something I do. Well, I say, God, I'm tired. And I shouldn't use it in that way because I'm not praying to God. I'm just saying it, making a statement. I'm using God's name in that way, okay? So yes, I shouldn't do that. So that's what that is. But it's not just that moment. This word to bear up, it's indicative of something you lift and you carry and go take with you. You are going. And so it's more indicative of behavior. So this is what I want you to hear. This is really about misusing the name of God, And in fact, if we look at the New Living Translation, the one I typically use, it says this, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Misuse is a little different than just saying it funny or because now it's not just about something we say in a moment, it's about a behavior, it's about a lifestyle. And so I want this to be our working definition for the word misuse during the rest of this message today. This is gonna be it. It's doing or saying things in the name of God that misrepresent God. And this is a lot more serious than, oh God, am I tired today? Or God, am I hungry? Should we use it that way? It's probably not awesome that we do that, but we do it. Are you going to hell for that? Probably not, but is that the standard? But this is something totally different. This is when we misrepresent who God is to the people around us or even to ourselves. And to me, I think there's three primary ways that we misuse the name of God. Number one, being disrespectful about God's name. And that would fall into some of the things that we've talked about. Number two, being selfish in God's name. And number three, doing evil in God's name. Now, if you notice, these things seem to get progressively more egregious as we go down the list. They seem to get worse and worse as we go down the list. But one of the things these three things all have in common is when we do them, it all, all three of these things dishonor the name of God. It causes us to dishonor the name of God in our own lives, but it also causes the people around us to dishonor God. They don't give him the honor. They don't assign him the honor that he deserves because we are representing him differently than he should be represented. We are saying, this is how worthy our God is of praise. And the people around us go, okay, you've just given him the value, thank you very much. So let me start with number one, being disrespectful about God's name. Um, Let me go back to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 24. It says, one day a man who had an Israelite mother, an Egyptian father, came out of his tent And got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. During the fight, this son of an Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So he he cursed and used God's name. So so the man was brought up to Moses for judgment. So this is a serious issue. Um, But I want you to understand the context a little bit. Because it specifies he had an Egyptian father and an Israeli mother, um, what we understand is his culture was probably different than Israeli culture. He was probably raised with a little bit of a different set of values, and he probably understood the law, but he probably didn't honor it like people who were full-blood native Israelis did. So you would think there would be a little room there for leniency, maybe. 
So they bring him to Moses to figure out what happens next. And then it says in verse 16, anyone who blasphemes in the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Listen to what it says. Any native-born Israelite or foreign among, foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Aren't you glad this isn't still in effect today? <laughs> Last night after the Saturday night service, I was talking to somebody and... Um, they were finishing up and they were walking out and one of the girls that was here was like, uh, what are you guys doing now? And they go, we're going, we're going to eat dinner. And this girl goes, God, I'm hungry. And she went, oh, I'm so sorry, after she had heard this message. And I was like, ooh, man, you did not listen at all, did you, right? Thank God we don't actually take people out and stone them because of the new covenant. But what we have to understand is, uh, this is how seriously God takes reverencing him and honoring him and respecting him. It's a big deal. And it's a problem when we use God's name flippantly. It is a problem when we use it in a way that is dishonoring. It's a problem when it becomes almost like a punchline. And one of the issues is, well, let me back up. I think one of the great things about how we do church in the Western church in the United States, not just our church, but just church in the U.S., is that we have highlighted the intimacy that we can have with God. We have, we have shown a light on the fact that you can personally know God and be in relationship with him. And that's pretty incredible. That's awesome. I'm grateful that, that I don't need an intermediary. I don't need to, to talk to somebody who's gonna talk to God for me. I can talk to God. What a blessing that is. But one of the issues we've run into is because I think unintentionally we've made God too familiar. We've gotten uh, too comfortable with God. Um, some of the songs we sing, some of the things we think, I think we, we start to think of God as something kind of akin to Santa Claus, but holier. Like, he's just like a nice, sweet, benevolent grandpa. And you know, when I would send my kids to my parents' house, I'd have to deprogram them when they would come home. Because at grandma and grandpa's house, nana and papa's house, they'd go over there and the kids would do something and it'd be like, oh, you shouldn't do that, <laughs> right? And I think we think that's what God's like. And that's not what God's like. He is benevolent and loving and gracious and merciful. He is all those things. But he is righteous and holy and he is militant. And we forget that stuff. We overlook that stuff because we just want to see Grandpa God. Like, we love Grandpa God. And so what happens is, what happens is, we don't respect who he really is at times. Um, there's a passage, it, it's in the book of Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this isn't talking about fear um, like, I'll get judged for this. I took my girls. We went and saw A Quiet Place 2 a couple week, last week, a couple weeks ago, something like that. So we went, and it's a, it's a scary movie. And it's not, like, horribly scary. If you're thinking about going to see the movie, the scariest part is actually the preview for another movie before the movie. That's terrifying. The movie was not that terrifying. But it was funny because Abby... <laughs> She's in college. She's, you know, 19 years old. And she turns her face from the screen. She doesn't want to watch the screen. And she's just watching my face while I'm watching the preview. And I would hear her screaming and be like, what? And she's like, your face is scaring me. I'm like, what? I'm like, it's not very nice. Because things would happen on screen. I'd be like, oh, oh, no, no, oh, no. Like, oh, I'm squealing in the movie theater. Because it is weird and it's freaking me out, right? That's what we think of as scary. That's what we think of as fear. And that's what we assign to a verse like this in Proverbs where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's not what it's saying at all. Because this word fear here is talking about a reverential, respectful fear. It, it's, it's talking about this idea that we never forget who we're dealing with. One of the things that's interesting, uh, stories from time to time will pop up in the news about animal trainers who get attacked by the animal they're training. And I'm not comparing God to a wild animal, but stay with me. One of the things they will inevitably say after the attack is, I just got too comfortable. There are things that I should have been doing that I didn't do, and I just forgot the power of the animal I was dealing with. That I, was, I forgot that I was dealing with a wild animal. 
And what they're saying is I got lazy, I got lax, I lost respect for the creature that I was in contact with. And I think this is what we do with God. We get lazy, we get lax, we lose respect for God because we become too comfortable and familiar with him. And because of that, we forget who he really is. We lose this holy reverential fear of God because we've forgotten he's not our best friend. He's not just our buddy. He's not just a grandpa. He is holy and glorious and beyond our comprehension, and we have to approach him that way as well. So he can't just be benevolent old grandpa God that we think of him as. He is, for lack of a better word, he's dangerous. And we've got to treat him that way. We've got to understand that he deserves respect and reverence and honor, and we have to approach him that way. So that was the first thing. Number two, being selfish in the name of God. Um, <laughs> I've been around people who have said, hey, God spoke to me and said, and I'm, I'm okay with that because I think God does speak to people and say things. Um, and so I don't want to discount that. But there's been a few times in my life that people have abused that for sure. Um, one of them was when I was in college and before I was dating Kim, uh, I was friends with a, a young lady and this young lady I, th- I thought liked me, but I wasn't sure and we were spending some time together, and I was trying to figure out, do I like her in that way? Or are we just friends? And one of our mutual friends said, hey, Mel, so, this so-and-so likes you. I was like, oh, that's cool. I, th- I thought she might. I wasn't sure. And she said, yeah. But it, not just that. She actually told me that she was praying, and God told her that you guys were going to get married. Like, I'm sorry. I, I might have blacked out for a second. What did you say? What did you say? What, what, what was that? And yeah, she repeated it. I was like, listen, I don't know how this works. Like, this is my first time that, that God's ever spoken to somebody about my marital status before, but I am, I'm relatively certain that he has to speak to me about that too. Like, I'm not positive, like, how that works, but it was like, yeah, I don't think that's how it works. Um, but she said it. And as you can tell, we're not married today. So I don't know if I'm out of God's will or not. Keeps me awake at night. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's not reserved even for kids, for teenagers, college students. Um, Since I've been here, I was sitting in my office with a, a person from our church at the time who was going through marital issues. And I want you to understand something. Um... If you are married, you will have marital issues. There is no marriage that is perfect because two human beings are involved. And if you've got two human beings involved, there are gonna be challenges at times. Um, and so this person's sitting on my couch because they're having some marital challenges and we're talking through some of this stuff. And, and I wanna be clear about this. There was no infidelity and there was no uh, abuse at all. But it was a challenging marriage. And this person says to me, you know, Mel, I've been praying about it, and I think God has spoken to me, and he said I need to divorce my spouse. I was like, really? That's what God said? Yeah. Well, let's, let's unpack that for a second, because I don't think that's what he said. Or, well, why would you think that? And I said, well, I've got a Bible. <laughs> and here's what the Bible says about divorce in cases where there's not infidelity or abuse. So... I don't think God changed his mind on this. And I don't think God forgot what he said. So I don't think you heard from God. And that was not the most productive conversation in the world. That was where I spoke truth with as much love as I could, but it wasn't received terribly well. But again, what do we do? We say that God spoke to me or God's doing this or this is God. And we do it a lot of times as a cover to do whatever we want to do. Well, God said I should be divorced. No, God didn't. You're just trying to blame him to get out of your cruddy marriage, right? It's not God's fault. You need to work on this thing. Let's go. Because God didn't change his mind, right? And we see all throughout scripture, people would say, God said, God told me. And this was an issue in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, God is speaking through Moses. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 18.20. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of any other God must die. That's pretty direct, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Don't get me wrong. I believe in prophecy. I believe prophecy is for us today. I don't think prophecy has to be weird. Um, Paul says in Corinthians that we should 
earnestly seek spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So I think it's for us today, okay? So I'm not, I'm not downplaying the importance of prophecy. But what we see is uh, prophets aren't held to the same standards today as they were in the Old Testament. Um, because in the Old Testament, if you messed up a prophecy, if, for instance, you said, this, this person's gonna be elected president and they weren't elected president, they would stone you publicly. And I don't think that happened recently, did it? So the standards for prophets is dramatically different than it was. And not all prophets would do it in a way that was self-serving. Sometimes they just missed it. Sometimes, let's be honest, we think we hear from God, but we don't. So thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to get stoned publicly for missing it when we think we hear from God. But it goes on to say, so the question then is, uh, he says, but you may wonder, how will you know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord. If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but the prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give the message. The prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. I'm not kidding when I say this. There were books every year when, like in the late 80s, 84 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1984. And then he would write another book, 85 reasons Jesus will return in 1985. And it's like, at some point, people need to stop buying this guy's book, Right? Clearly, he's not hearing from God when it comes to this stuff. But the reality is we can, we can use God's name for our benefit. And this isn't intended to be like this, but there are people who, there are prophets who prophesy for profit. They just do it for their money. There are people, I promise some of you like their Facebook pages or watch their YouTube videos that I don't believe they've got a pastoral bone in their body, but they've got a gift that they leverage in the name of God for their own personal benefit. And it's easy to criticize them, but we do the same thing. We do things in the name of God all the time that are self-serving, that are for our own benefit. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 23, and I won't read all of Matthew 23 to you. In fact, I'm gonna cut back some of the scripture I've even used over the last couple services. But let me, let me read a couple of verses to you from Matthew chapter 23. In verse five of Matthew 23, he's talking, to, um, he's talking to and about the Pharisees. And he says in Matthew 23, five, everything they do is for show. Which that is, that's quite an indictment. So he says, verse 13, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, you won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter in either. So what he says is, hey, you've raised the standard, you've made people believe, here's all the hoops they have to jump through in order to go to heaven. And he said, so you slam the door in their faces when they're not good enough to, but he says, you think you're good enough, but you're truly, you're fooling yourself. you're not gonna get into heaven either because you think you're righteous, but you're not because you're following the rules, but you're missing the values. You follow all the rules, but you miss the heart of God. He says in verse 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. (laughs) Calls them hypocrites again. For you're careful to tithe even on the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So he said, hey, you follow the law because you tithe off your herb garden, but you can't show mercy and grace and love to the people around you. Again, you're following the, the rule of law, but you're not following the heart of the law, the values that, that support the law. You're doing the right things, but you're doing it with the wrong motivation. You're doing it so people see you, so you can get credit, so you can get glory. And then he says, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a whole camel. Now, what he's saying here is um, Jewish dietary restrictions would prevent them from swallowing a gnat. And most Jewish people wouldn't filter their water, um, but some very religious people would so that they could say, I didn't even swallow a gnat. And he says, you will do that. You'll go to the, the trouble and expense of 
filtering your water so you don't break the law. And in the process, you break the law. In fact, you break it in such a way you might as well eat a camel. And a camel was an unclean animal that they could never eat. He said, that's, that's basically what you're doing. Then in verse 25, it says, well, sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, he says it over and over and over. He's being serious about this. For you're careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgences. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. And what he's saying is he's spelling this out. You're more concerned about how you are viewed and how you are perceived than what's actually going on in your heart. And it's so easy to do that. We come into church and we act like everything's good. We act like our lives are all put together and we're perfect and our marriage is perfect and our spiritual life is perfect. But really on the inside, we're a mess. And God says, focus more on the inside than the outside. Focus more on the character, what is unseen, than what's outside and what's seen. And what happens is when we focus on the outside, we're using God to make ourselves look better. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And what it's saying is people will say, hey, I don't want to hear good, sound doctrine. I want to hear what I'm comfortable hearing. And what they're saying is, I want it my way, but I want, I want to prop up God. I'm going to use God as a prop, but I want to hear the gospel the way I want to hear the gospel. And I want you to know this. If you go to a church and you're never offended, if you go to a church and you're, and we'll say in a church way, you don't ever get your toes stepped on, if you go to a church and you never disagree with anything the pastor says, you're probably going to the wrong church. Because there should be some times that you're like, oh, I don't like that, but I probably needed to hear that. That's really tough for me to swallow, but all right, yeah, he's right. You need to hear this stuff sometimes. And if you go to a church and you agree with everything the pastor says, it probably means you're the pastor. And to be honest with you, I'm conflicted about some of the things I say sometimes. The bottom line is this, when being a Christian is about what we want, we're misusing the name of God. We're misrepresenting God because we make people believe God is about what I want and not what he wants. Number three, doing evil in God's name. Now, as I said, these get progressively more egregious, and this is the one where we go, okay, the big ones that we could think of would be like 9-11, right? People did evil in their God's name. Um, even what Hitler did, he, he attributed it to his, his Christian faith, evil in the name of his God. Um, the Crusades from history, were perpetrated by Christians uh, against unbelievers, specifically Muslims, and horrible atrocities that were done historically um, in, in the name of God. So this has happened over and over and over and over throughout history. And it's not just one religious group. Uh, it is many. And, um, and so I want to acknowledge that. Now, if we left it at that, it would be easy for us to go, well, I'm off the hook for that because... I don't, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. That's just naturally where people go. And when you're having talks about people, with people about religion, a lot of times people will default here. Well, religion is the source of all this stuff, so clearly religion's bad. It's like, no, no, that's not real religion. That is false religion. That's people who have misused the name of God. That's not real faith. That's not real religion at all. But, but here's the issue. Um, I think we can do evil in God's name without ever perpetrating a, a, any kind of holocaust or mass genocide or anything like that. I think we can do evil in God's name on much different scale, but in a very damaging way. I, I think one of the things that's evil in the world we live in today is when people who go to church compare their church to other churches. Um, now, again, I'm not trying to say that it's in the same scale of any of these other things I mentioned, but I, I want this to be applicable for us. I want you to understand we can still do evil in the name of God. One of the reasons this is evil is because comparison is bad no matter what. It's never good to compare ourselves because if, if you're a guy and you're struggling with your looks and you're like, I'm not that good looking guy, but man, at least I'm better looking than that guy. 
Well, what are you doing? You're building in pride. And maybe you're a three and you just compared yourself to a two, right? You're like, well, I'm better looking than that guy. And you're like, yeah, he's a two. What happens when a five walks in? Now you're crushed because you're like, well, I'm not nearly as good looking as that guy. I'm the ugliest guy in the room. No, 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 good news. The two's still there. So you're better looking than that guy, right? But that's what we do. We compare ourselves and we go, well, I'm not as good as, but I'm better than. So we are conflicted. We have these feelings. And we do the same thing in church. And it's easy, especially in a church like ours, to go, well, um, we're the best church around. Do you know how I know that? Because we're the biggest. Of course, of course we're the best because we're the biggest. And, and maybe that thought has crossed your mind at times, and I, I just want to help you. That is a lie, okay? Um, big does not mean better. And if you don't believe me, uh, ask somebody who's had cancer if bigger is better. See, lots of things grow that are unhealthy. There's lots of things churches can do to, to spark growth that it's not healthy growth. And so bigger is not better necessarily. Better is better. Healthier is better. So at the end of the day, it's not about bigger is better. And, and small churches can do the same thing. Well, we're not just attracting a crowd. We're better because we're smaller. No, you're not better because you're smaller. You're just smaller, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is we compare, we make ourselves feel better. And what that says to the world is, well, what it says is we're misrepresenting God. Because what we're doing is we're telling people, hey, what God loves is big. That's what God loves. No, God loves faithful people. And I want you to know something. On Saturday, we're gonna have pastors here from all over the area uh, for our Back 40 Pastors Conference. And we're gonna have pastors here who's pastored much smaller churches. And we're gonna cheer them on and we're gonna celebrate them because their churches are just as worthy of praise as our church is because we're all serving the same God. We're all on one team. And, and when they win, we should cheer. And when they are grieving, we should mourn. So at the end of the day, it doesn't do us any good to compare. But what we do is we do that in the name of God and we go, well, see, our church is good because... Our church is better because we don't have a pipe organ. We're, we're not locked into that religiosity. Churches will go, well, hey, we're not, we're not just chasing the latest fads. We don't need guitars on stage, and right? We can do it no matter where we're at. And we can misrepresent who God is. We misuse his name. It's not godly. It's not healthy. Jesus said, hey, the world will know you're my followers by your loved one for another. He didn't say the world will know you're my followers because you have LED lighting in your auditorium. That's the evidence. The world will know you're my followers when you have the best worship team. No. When we love each other really, really well, that's evidence of our love for each other. So comparing our church to other churches, I think it's evil in the name of God. I think, here's one. If you've been around church, maybe you've heard this or done this. Uh, gossiping in the name of prayer. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you go to someone and say, hey, be praying for me, brother. I'm struggling with gossiping. That would be good, but let's be honest. I've, I've prayed with lots of people about lots of things. I've never had somebody come to me and say, pray for me, I'm a gossip, right? What I'm talking about is when you go to somebody and you're like, hey, we really need to be praying for so-and-so. Did you know that they did this and this and this and now their marriage might be breaking up and then they're gonna be losing their job too? Can you believe that? It's crazy. I mean, but be praying for them. We're praying for them though, Right? Yeah, yeah, we're praying. That's what we're doing. Come on. Come on. You're not fooling anybody. What are we doing? We're gossiping in the name of prayer. And what we're doing is we're misusing the name of God for our sinful behavior. That's, that's evil. We're, we're saying this is what God would want. And, and God would want us to share our needs for each other and, and share people's needs and pray for them. But not with a heart that's just trying to spread rumors or, or, or make ourselves look better because we don't behave like this. Or It's foolish. It's misrepresenting God. It's misusing his name. You know, one thing that, that happens in churches a lot is um, making people who are different feel uncomfortable in church. Some churches take a lot of pride in this. Like people walk in and you know that they're new and maybe it's because they don't quite fit into the culture, they just look a little out of place. Um, in some churches, it might be that uh, maybe they've got some tattoos visible 
Or maybe they've got some piercings in places that are not in their ears. And we all know you can't go to heaven if you've got ears, uh, anything pierced that's not in your ears. So that's the rule, right? Um, uh, maybe, maybe they're not dressed quite right. Um, you know, whatever it might be. And it's, sometimes it's things people say and sometimes it's what we don't say. Sometimes it's just the body language we use when we see somebody who's a little different. Maybe it's just the way we look at them. Maybe it's the way we approach them. Glad you're here. My last church, there was a young lady who walked into the, uh, into the service and I was standing in the back and I don't know how much she paid for her outfit, but my hope is it wasn't a lot because there was not very much material there on her outfit. It was, <laughs> I hope she paid very little for it according to how much of it was on her body. But she walked in, she just, she was not wearing many clothes. And the usher, when he saw her, the very first words he said to her was, are you comfortable in that outfit? And I was like, oh no, oh no, no, no. And anybody with eyeballs could go, Okay, like, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure this outfit is appropriate for a club, let alone church, right? But that's probably the wrong way to approach it. And I wanted to say to the guy, of course she's comfortable in it. She put it on this morning, right? It's like somebody abducted her from her house in a white van and they put her in this outfit and threw her out at the church. She was walking in like, I don't know what happened, right? They made me wear this to church, Give me a baggy t-shirt. Like, that's not how that happened. So what happened? Well, um, she was seated and she left after church and we never saw her again. And, And this is the thing. That usher, although I think he had the right motivation, at the end of the day, he he misused God's name because he misrepresented God to this girl. He, he made her believe God is more interested in what you wear than who you are. He's more interested in what you wear to church than your repentant heart when you come to church. And to me, that's evil in God's name. And we can do the same thing. It's the way we talk to people or don't talk to people. It's the look we give people. And I'm not saying that everything has to be... <laughs> psychoanalyzed, and if somebody looks at you funny, you should be offended. Not at all. But what I'm saying is, if we're not careful, we can do great damage to the name of God, and we can do it in his name. I think one of the greatest evils that Christians can do in the name of God is by claiming that we're Christian without any evidence in that and how we think, speak, or live. I think Christians who don't act like Christians and don't adhere to Christian values, do more damage to the name of God than any sinner ever could. And it's because so many people reportedly are Christians, but we don't live like it because we don't love people well. We don't treat people well. There's no evidence in how we talk or think or act. You know, going back to the, the verse we read at the very beginning, Exodus 27, it says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished, or let go unpunished if you misuse his name. The word that's used a couple times here is Lord. Lord, your God, the Lord will not let you go unpunished. Um, and in the Greek language, the word Lord is kureos. And kureos, um, it's used 748 times in Scripture, 667, it's used as the the proper name for the Lord. It's used in describing who he is. Then it's used to describe somebody who's a master, used as master. But let's look at the definition. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. The master, a Lord. And this is what I've realized. It's easy for us to misuse the name of God when he is not our Lord. And what happens so many times is we like church and we want to go to heaven, but we don't want to lose the power of deciding. We like the deciding. We like to be in charge of our lives. So we don't want to surrender lordship to him because we're not sure if we can trust him. And he might call us to Africa or he might ask me to give up this or stop this or whatever it might be. And we want to go to heaven and we want to come to church, but we don't want to lose the power of deciding. And part of this issue comes back to this fundamental 
problem that we don't want to surrender lordship. And because of that, we tend to be people who misrepresent God. We make people think that he's for stuff he's not for or against stuff he's not against because we're for stuff and we're against stuff. So what happens is we decide for God. Hey, God, this is how it's going to be and this is what it's going to look like. And as a result, we misrepresent him. We misuse his name in ways that are damaging to his honor. At the end of the day, using the name of the Lord God in vain is, is not about just something we say. It's about how we live. It's about understanding that we represent God if we claim to be Christians in every place we go, in every facet of our life, in every relationship we go into, we're representing God. And especially with people who are unbelievers, if, if we misrepresent God, we're doing damage that we can't even understand to the kingdom. So it really comes back to this idea of, okay, God, I don't want to misrepresent you, so the best way to do that is for you to have my whole heart, for, for you to be the one who has the power of deciding. And I'm going to surrender the power of deciding to you. It's yours. You get to decide. I'm just going to follow your lead. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And it's amazing how we represent God well when he really is Lord of our life. Hey, right now I'm going to turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville, and they're going to close out the rest of this message. They'll give you a chance to respond. But guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Why don't we pray together as we finish up today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for, thank you for your son. Thank you that we can know you intimately and in relationship with you, that you're not a far-off God, but because of the work Jesus did on the cross, because he paid the atoning price for our sin, we can know you and be in relationship with you. So God, thank you for that. Thank you that we can know your name and you wanna know us. And God, I'm sorry for the times that we've taken that for granted, that we have treated you at times with disrespect. And we've been too familiar with you and with your glory and with your goodness. And God, I, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. Forgive me for that. God, I pray that you would help me live a life that represents you well. And I pray that it wouldn't be about me or what I endeavor to do, but Lord, let it be about your spirit in me. Lord, I pray that my life would be fully surrendered to your lordship. And I pray that our church would live in a, in a similar way, that we would surrender to your lordship, that we would abandon deciding for ourselves, that we would leave that to you. We would trust you to be our master and be our Lord. God, as we do, I pray that... Um, Lord, the things we think about, the things we talk about, the things we do, all of that would bring you glory. All of that would represent you well. So God, forgive us for the times we've misused your name for selfish purposes. Forgive us for the times that we've just been flippant about your name. Forgive us for the times that we've used your name to do evil, that's, that's actively hurt your kingdom. God, forgive us. So God, have your way with us. Over these next few moments, speak into us, into our hearts, into this place. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, if, if you'd say to me, I'm, I'm not really serving God, I'm not really in relationship with God, but I know I need to be. I recognize today that um, I've kind of been going through the motions. I've been religious, but there's no intimacy. I don't really know God. And maybe I've been misrepresenting God because I claim to know him, but I don't. And if you'd say to me, Mel, I wanna, I wanna fully surrender his lordship today. I'm, I'm done deciding. I'm gonna let God do the deciding in my life. I'm surrendering to Christ. If that's you, I just wanna pray with you. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, if you would, slip your hand up real high where I can see it. You can put it right back down. Mel, pray for me today. Include me in this final prayer. Yeah, thank you in the back. Thank you on my right. I see you. Thanks, sir. Yeah, thanks up in the balcony. Thank you. Yeah, over here on my left, I see you. Praise God. Thank you. Awesome. The book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is 
son of God and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I just want to pray with you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say it with your mouth out loud, but I want you to pray it from your heart. I want this to be your prayer to God. And whether you're praying this prayer as a prayer of rededication or you're praying this prayer for the very first time to surrender to his lordship, I want you to pray it out loud with me. Everybody in the room, repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you want to know me and be in relationship with me. From this day forward, I surrender my rights to decide you are Lord, you are master, and you have my life. Use me for your glory. Help me never go back to my old ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause this morning. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Word of God tells us you're a new creation. We'd love to help you take the next step. Simplest thing for you to do would be to either take the card out of the seat back in front of you. You can take it over to our info center. When we finish up, give it to them and fill that out. They're gonna give you a Bible and help you take the next step. Or if you're watching online or you're here in the room and prefer to, simply... uh, simply text the word Summit PA to the number 94,000. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and uh, we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So thank you again for for praying, for being here, for letting the Holy Spirit deal with you today. Here's what's going to happen now. I'm going to pray a final prayer uh, as a dismissal for us. And as I'm praying that prayer, our team, some of our prayer team and staff are going to join me here at the front of the room. And they'll be here for prayer. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, maybe it's physical healing, a relationship issue, financial issue, whatever it might be. Maybe you're just responding to what the Holy Spirit spoke in your heart today. Come forward, let one of them pray with you before you go today. And we'd be honored to do that. So let's pray together while the team joins me up here. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for people who have said yes to you and surrendered to, to your Lordship today. I pray For each of us as we leave here today, God, we would represent you well, that our hearts would be set on you, that we would not just follow rules, but help us understand the values of the kingdom. And I pray as we do, uh, we're gonna attract people to you, not because of us, because of what your spirit is doing in us. So God, we love you and we thank you and we give you glory in advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you, have a great week.